Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is the final episode of the series we're doing on gaming and blockchain. In the fourth installment of the gaming series, I chat with Joshua McDougall, the president of Slow Ninja. Slow Ninja is a blockchain-based gaming studio that has released games on multiple blockchain networks dating back to 2014. The team is currently building Strux, a strategic game of interstellar enterprise and empire. The game will build upon a popular gaming model called 4X, but will be adding a fifth element, exchange, to incorporate ownership of in-game assets. In this conversation, Josh and I talk about his decade-long discovery process of building games on cutting-edge tech and his journey developing across blockchains. We also talk about the philosophy of building fun games and how they can unknowingly onboard new users to Web3. And we talk about building a gaming protocol that integrates the composability of other dApps in the Cosmos ecosystem, among many other topics. Just a reminder, Nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Josh, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today, we are joined by Joshua McDougall, the president of Slow Ninja. How are you doing today, Josh? Hey, Dylan. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Really psyched to have you on. You have a pretty cool background and you're working on a really cool project and we're doing a gaming series right now. I guess to kind of jump off, when was the first time you heard about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, anything like that? And then when was like the first time you started building or participating in the space? It would have been back in about 2011, maybe. Started hearing about Bitcoin. It was actually a friend of mine when shut up about it. So him and I spent quite a few hours on the on the balcony trying to break it, actually, because we thought it was a stupid idea. You know, if I can copy an MP3, surely I can copy a Bitcoin. Then as we tried to break it, it came a little more obvious that it's not the, the worst idea we'd ever heard. It's actually one of the most fascinating. So we kind of delved into it pretty hard. At, at that time, there was kind of a constant theme of what new people in the space did, which is basically like, hate it, really like it, try to mine it, and then it like flutters off into a couple different pathways. So we kind of did that same process, and at least until mining got a little bit out of our hands. But yeah, from there, founded a company called C4, a nonprofit that handles education and standards in the space, which I believe some of our people happen to have been on your, your podcasts as well. And around that same time, I started toying with, uh, I always had a love for building games out of things that shouldn't have games in it. My first love being uh, one built inside a a database uh, (laughs) where you actually had to issue SQL, which is the language of databases to play the game, select star from my ships, insert from my ships, et cetera, et cetera. So then there was this this cool new technology that I wanted to screw around with more and it's my way of kind of learning the tech a lot better. So I tried to build a game uh, using Bitcoin and and similar blockchains. Yeah, you've built on Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin. Now you're building on Cosmos. So like, what were the different types of games you made for the different networks? And how has like uh, the iteration of smart contract platforms and just their general improvement over time, how has that led you down the path to what you're building today? I've definitely tried a lot of tech along the way. Uh, You can imagine all the different things being released over the years. Building on Bitcoin and and similar UTXO blockchains to begin with, that game was uh, something called CoinDroids. And the premise of that was it's some accounting robots, some kind of AI-enabled accounting robots that were supposed to be like the CEO of your company, which now is a thing that's actually kind of, or the CFO, I should say, kind of exploring that more in large companies, which is fascinating. But these robots become sentient, as robots in cyberpunk often do. But they took the idea that money is power a little bit too literally, and they started shooting money at each other. So the premise of these games, and they were a very simple kind of concept in that uh, it was a centralized game. I shot at you. You had a, you know, you had an attack address. I tried to shoot at your droid. 
If I could kill you, I want your bounty. If not, the amount of money I spent, which was a literal transaction, went into your address, kind of making you a more interesting target for someone else to try and attack you. Um, so it was all using basically uh, default wallets like blockchain.info wallet or, or copay or whatever classic wallets were available at the time, low wallet, just scanning a QR code and sending funds. And, and that was the kind of idea is use it to teach people about this technology. Let them, let them build transactions, let them get some of their first tokens and, and try it out, which was fun. But then there was two problems with it. One, usability was awful because if someone came to the site and didn't have any of that, it was like, okay, we'll go away. Two, they put a lot of trust from our perspective into all these networks to constantly function and into these wallets to function. And especially with you know, Litecoin, there was a bunch of issues and a couple other currencies that we tried, there was a bunch of issues along the way. But also, you know, fees went through the roof, especially on Bitcoin, making this game about microtransactions completely useless. And that community basically said, well, you shouldn't be using Bitcoin for that anyways. That's stupid. Cool. Uh, no problem. We'll move on. And then people also didn't really want to spend their Bitcoin or their Litecoin. They're HODL communities, right? Like they're, they have no interest in, in gambling. And, and CoinDroids wasn't gambling, but it was you know, practically gambling. They, you were putting your assets at risk. So they, they weren't interested in it, which was fine. It was still, it worked great at conferences as a teaching tool, but it wasn't something that really scaled well from a web perspective. Kind of moving along the, the eras, you know, Ethereum came out and smart contracts are super cool. But we were a little bit jaded already with getting screwed by putting our trust into other clients and, and transaction fees and things like that. And, you know, for that one, we created just like a, a, a Tamagotchi type game um, where you just had this being on Ethereum and, and you wanted to keep it alive. Pretty simple, smart contract, nothing, nothing crazy. Again, used it to write a tutorial on how to get into smart contract writing. But again, for people to play it from a studio perspective, there's certainly no no funds coming into the game. Most of the funds coming in would just be going to miners, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't really create a self-sustaining ecosystem when all value going into it are immediately being dispersed to the things not even in the game. So Ethereum, although it's something we always wanted to play with, and, and honestly, like the ecosystem of Ethereum is amazing. When I commented earlier that Bitcoin and Litecoin uh, you know, they're kind of HODL communities. Ethereum is the exact opposite of that spectrum. Ethereum people will throw ETH at anything that they think is even remotely neat and cool. So like, uh, we always wanted to build in that ecosystem because the people would get it. People would want to try it and play it. But we just were always worried about, you know, that kind of value disbursement across the ecosystem versus actually into the app that we're building. From there... Of course, we love Bitcoin, so we thought, okay, we'll try the Lightning Network. So we tried to take that CoinDroids methodology where you're just shooting money at each other and, and try and apply that to the Lightning Network, because that should have been really fast and, and interesting. But the way the Lightning Network worked at the time, and it may have changed now, but I don't even think it has, you can't send a payment without an invoice. So I can't, I can't send you money until you say, hey, Josh, send me money which in a game stance is like, hey, I'm going to shoot you. Can you send me like a bullet invoice? <laughs> and you're like, okay, here's your bullet invoice. And great, here, like, now we'll send you these funds. Oh, great, I've been shot because you fulfilled the invoice. Like, it just like, the, it didn't mesh with me. I didn't like it. And obviously, uh, you know, when one of our main problems was onboarding, onboarding into the, the Lightning Network is also kind of atrocious. Sure, maybe it's gotten better now, but again, we're talking like 2016, 2017, 2018. Like, it's just not, not good. Probably spent two months trying and then just gave up and, and moved on my way. Thought EOS was going to be awesome. Was really excited about doing that. And I, I, we didn't even successfully build anything. So that was just atrocious to build on and I hated it. I'm sorry, EOS people, but it's just the fact of the matter. Did not like it at all. You know, to kind of wrap up this adventure, although there were certainly many other things that we, we tried along the way, it was finally about two years ago now. I had some new ideas for game mechanics. Um, wasn't quite sure what they would become, but you know, I kind of liked these core concepts, whether or not the game around it, we'll, we'll figure it out. But let's try out these core concepts. So I was trying to actually just write them in a centralized way, just like here's a website or here's our app, not on a blockchain whatsoever. Let's just try these out. And I was kind of fighting with it a little bit and thinking to myself, well, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be fighting with this and trying to like force these concepts into something where it's not really even what they're supposed to be on eventually. Like it's kind of actually 
weird to write a centralized system that's trying to be a blockchain, but yet kind of virtualizing it. So we thought, you know what, I'll just try this Cosmos thing. Had a couple friends who were kind of into it. So figured, okay, let's give it a try. And I had a, like a working demo of my concepts within like three weeks. And I was like, wait, like this is incredible. I just, I built my own blockchain and it's doing the thing I want in like next to no time. It was like the, one of the easiest things. And not to say there are learning curves to it and, and gotchas here and there, but it really blew me away of all the heavy lifting that it did with things like IBC just, just around the corner too. So it's like, okay. This actually answers that this gives us the control we want finally, where, you know, we're, we're not beholden to all these other people who are making different clients and, and, you know, kind of defining what our user experience ends up being and what our onboarding ends up being. We get to define it now because we get to control the chain. So immediately, and by immediately, I mean, within a couple months, I quit my career 15 years. I got a couple full-time people to join me up and we've been building the game that we're building now uh, ever since. Yeah, and that career you're doing, e-discovery, it looked like from just high-level concepts, it was dealing with like risk and risk management. So I was just a little curious as to how your former day job kind of impacted your ability to do all these side projects because you must be having no sleep, having no time to party or have fun if you're working on all these side projects all the time and have this pretty demanding day job. Well, side projects are how I... Uh, at least one way I enjoy to have fun, but uh, certainly a little party here and there too. The thing about the day job was, so is e-discovery, which I'll define it as helping people sue each other whenever computers are involved. So it's a lot, it's an extremely technical role. Now, I'm not a lawyer by any means. I just help support lawyers. I help be there, their understanding of technology, helping them understand the concepts and, and helping them translate what they're looking for into these digital devices and stuff like that. So it was always very important that I know technology well. I'm constantly researching new technology and understanding. It was only a matter of time until we started to see cases come in that involved cryptocurrency assets and other digital assets. So helping that industry as well to say, okay, hey, you know, you're going to have to worry about this. You're going to have to deal with these soon. And these are how you're going to have to deal with them safely. Like at first, lawyers were like, oh, okay, great. The other side should give us the keys and we'll hold the keys without even remotely understanding what they were asking for, how much risk they were putting themselves at, or what a disaster that could potentially be down the road. So helping that industry was always a lot of fun. And there's really two great ways of, of learning tech. And that's one, building something or two, teaching other people about it. So I try and do all of, both of those pretty regularly. Yeah. And so before we kind of jump into structs, the work you're doing at C4 is really cool. So why do you think education is so important in the blockchain space? And like what components are critical for like the next 10x users that we acquire? Yeah, I mean, so much of this is just really intimidating to people. And a lot of that is our own fault so far. And that's fine. Like mostly it was like a bunch of nerds. And I'd say that with gratitude to the industry built some things that were not necessarily like geared towards humans, um, myself included, along the way. And we had to kind of take a step back and, and realize that, you know, what we're building isn't necessarily overly approachable to most. And I think that actually, that caught a lot of people's backs up because they're just, they're terrified. And so they're, they're scared of it when they look at it. And then the news just tells them like, hack, 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 scam, scam, scam. And they have no way of bridging that gap they look over and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like 100% I'm gonna get scammed on that or, or mess that up even, even if it's not malicious. They're just going to screw it up. They, they hear about the guy still after like nine years digging in landfills for their laptop. <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't want to dig in a landfill for my laptop. Like, I mean, maybe this stuff just isn't for me. So in, unless we're able to move forward and properly educate people, they're always going to have fear and they're never going to be comfortable using this technology. And if people aren't comfortable doing it, then that means businesses have no interest in, in getting into it. Because then they just look bad as well. Like it's like, oh, okay, you're not building that product for me. That's for someone else. And we take that very seriously now as we're building this game as well. Like if you go to our game and you know you see like, oh, you're getting an NFT and and this is your like long string of address and like all this sort of nonsense that just means nothing to people and takes them out of it. Like takes them out of the headspace, then you know we haven't succeeded at all. And a lot of the financial 
applications are also just as crazy right now. Like you go and they're like, oh, we're launching. And it's a website about some new thing being launched. And, you know, I get confused. I've been in this industry for 11 years. And I can look at some of these, some of these announcements or some of these landing pages and splash pages and just be like, well, I don't know what's going on here. If I don't know who to turn to and ask, then, you know, that's kind of just dead in the water as far as my mind goes. We want to make sure that people have someone they can trust, turn to and say, okay, can you explain this to me from the start, please? Because people are curious and they do want to know, but we have not been kind to them and let them know how. So education is critical. Otherwise, these people, by these people, I mean, most of the world are just going to feel excluded from what we're doing, which is the opposite of the point of this. Yeah. So you've been building games for a long time and you've been playing with different blockchain networks and now you finally leave your career 15 years. So does this kind of like philosophy of education and onboarding new users, does this kind of align with why you gathered a group of people together to build a game full time? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly education has always been a big part of the games we've built, whether or not the players realize it. And people like to learn through playing. From childhood, this is how humans kind of relate to the world. Uh, So if we can give people a safe place to try something, then hopefully that helps them build that confidence, or at least shows them ways in which they can improve and build that confidence over time. When we started CoinDroids, we did it for a conference called DEF CON, a security conference. And again, it was 2014 was the first year that we brought it to DEF CON. And historically at DEF CON, most people there, and this kind of still the case, you know, Bitcoin was at best the butt of the jokes, but more likely not even known. Like the name wasn't even something that, that people recognized yet. And, you know, you bring this cryptocurrency thing and you help people kind of set up their first wallet get some of their first tokens. We were using something called DefCoin, which is just a intentionally worthless token for the sake of letting people try it purely for educational purposes. So we we're getting, you know, their wallets set up, getting them some tokens, and people who had never touched the technology before and were adversarial to the concept of it. By the end of the first day, we have them doing transactions, we have them having fun, we have them at least understanding that, oh, okay, I I see how it works kind of now. And in some cases we actually had them doing like forensics on the chain to solve different puzzles and stuff like that and and really digging down deep into it so again giving people something that's has no real risks to it and is just a, a puzzle for them to try can really open their eyes up to breaking down those walls that they have in their mind going like i don't like this technology for xyz and then suddenly they use it and they're like oh okay well i at least i understand it now and that goes a long way we had a demo booth at Consensus um, at the Neo booth where you would scan a QR code and then you could scan this uh, chest and everything would be operating on blockchain network. And then the chest would flash these lights and, and the top would open up. Uh, there was a mechanical lever and people would win a preloaded NFT or cryptocurrency. And we just had hundreds of people coming up to the booth just to test it out because they just wanted to use blockchain in any way. So it's really cool that. This is kind of an experience that's been building and people have been doing since 2014, you guys, you and, and your project. So what is Strux then? How did this idea come to be? And I think something that I also want to hear you talk about is the fifth X. There's four X games and you guys are adding a fifth X, which is an exchange. So maybe just like talk about Strux, what it is and like how you guys are implementing this kind of fifth iteration of it. So, so Strux... At its core, we're building a game and we want it to be fun. Like that's our main focus is making a fun game. You know, we're not trying to cram NFTs inside something. We're not trying to, you know, launch an, an ICO and then down the road, maybe release something. We're not trying to build something in which people will necessarily base their life on a P2 earn kind of income. Our main goal is creating a fun game. Easier said than done, but that's our goal. It just so happens to be that we think we can use this technology to make a really cool game. We think there's parts of this technology, parts of this ecosystem that allow us to make something that hasn't necessarily been made before. And, and that's kind of the, the preface of what we're doing. First, the, when we created CoinDroids, 
and all these other games, a lot of it was, how can we twist this technology to do this thing it shouldn't do? And now we're finally at the stage where it's like, oh, now this technology allows us to do X, Y, Z. So that's kind of my preface to, we want to build a game. And that is Strux. And Strux isn't about being a blockchain game. Of course, it's a blockchain game. That's, you know, it's, it's why I'm here today. It's why I'm talking. You know, when I talk to people in the blockchain space, obviously, those are talking points we're doing. But as a player, when they're coming to the game, that's not what the focus is. We want to just give people a good experience. So you mentioned the four X's. What is Strux? Strux is a 5X game. So the four X's are expand, explore, extract, and exterminate. It's a pretty classic genre of game. Uh, one of the most common in, in video game formats is Civ. In board game formats, there's games like uh, Eclipse, as well as Twilight Imperium. These are considered 4X games where, you know, I start and I want to go explore out. I run into people. I want to get more resources, but I want to kind of like deal with my enemies at the same time. So we do add that fifth X. So we're a 5X game and we add exchange because this is where, you know, one of these blockchain elements can come into play is there's the community aspect of it and then there's the economy aspect of it too. So not only do we have our own, you know, managing your assets internally, but thanks to the Cosmos IBC network, we can send those assets out too. And, you know, I hopefully envision a future where, you know, we can migrate our NFTs or better said, our in-game assets in and out of the chain to go to different marketplaces over on Secret Network or head up Stargaze or wherever there you know, is a marketplace to deal with assets um, or bring those assets back into the game. And of course, the same thing for the, the kind of more fundamental resources of the game, your alpha, which is your fuel, or your energy, which is your watt token, getting those you know, out into other you know, markets as well, be it osmosis or other exchanges too. So that exchange element is the big thing that obviously the, having a blockchain helps provide. And it's also not the only part of it too. Yeah. Do you guys envision having like an in-game marketplace? What does outreach to developers on like Secret or at Stars? What does that look like for you guys right now? Are you just focusing in-house? Are you starting to communicate externally? So, I mean, I, I feel like the beautiful thing about the Cosmos Network and, and IPC is that we shouldn't have to waste a lot of resources to rebuild a lot of these things that have rebuilt again and again and again. As far as the core resources go or the tokens of the platform, Getting those on Osmosis will be fairly simple. IBC has kind of nailed that process. Now, whether or not we actually send you over to the Osmosis platform from our experience, I would rather not see that happen. You know, not to say it won't happen. Of course, Osmosis can pull assets and, that, and that's fine. But I don't want to take people out of the game either. Now, with you have like interchain accounts coming up and being able to send more complicated IBC transactions. So from our chain, we can actually trigger everything needed to you know, stake into a pool on Osmosis. Or hopefully down the road, we can use, say, we can list something on the Stars marketplace or on, say, the Stash marketplace on, on Secret Network, all from our chain, all without the people leaving our experience. Now, certainly, if people are on those marketplaces from that end, great, more power to them. But it, at least it doesn't require us to remove people from, from our experience. It doesn't require a secret token or a stars token because we've got all that kind of happening under the hood within our chain and, and with technology like interchain accounts. So, so my hope is we don't have to write a marketplace. We don't have to write uh, AMM. We just get to use all these things that exist across the, star, the, the Cosmos ecosystem. And really, it's just about creating the user experience within ours that makes that kind of fluid. Yeah, that's the beauty of Lego blocks and composability. Once somebody else has done the work and it's been audited, then you guys can plug and play. Exactly, exactly. So is your blockchain and testnet right now? Like are Watt tokens available? I did a walkthrough with you guys when you released your POC. And so I got to test it around a little bit. And I went back recently to see what's going on. And it feels very similar to when we did the walkthrough. So like what's going on under the hood right now? Where are you guys at in terms of like what you've done for the blockchain? Like when I create a new schematic, is that an NFT that has been minted? Can I access it through my Kepler wallet? I'm sorry for the brain dump of questions. <laughs> no, no worries. These are all great. So yeah, you tried the proof of concept or demo that was released. Uh, we released that late last year. We spent some time tweaking that. We had brought on our UX and UI people to help kind of 
make that a better experience. And we got amazing feedback from from people like yourself and, and some of the other players who helped us also pinpoint problems with gameplay. And again, when we created that demo, it was like, okay, here's some components, here's some pieces, here's some mechanics. What do you think of those so far? And we got amazing feedback, but it wasn't it wasn't the full game, right? Like it, and you can probably kind of speak to that too, if, if you were to be asked. It was neat, but then you didn't really know, like, okay, well, what's next? It's a great question because there was no what's next. <laughs> we did, that wasn't implemented yet. So what we did was we were, you know, we were tweaking that demo, tweaking that demo, building upon it in some ways that never saw the the light of day. And then we took all that feedback we were getting and we said, okay, you know what, hold up. We're kind of done with that demo now. It still exists. You can still play it. Yeah, it's still fun. And we still, uh, certainly airdrop details will be based on that as well when, once we do hit the next testnet and, and mainnet and things like that. But we actually just stopped development on it and, and development on anything. And we went back to that kind of first, first statement I made when I was talking about Strux. We want to build a fun game. So we spent about six months not writing any code aside from trying out little little game mechanics and kind of modeling things and just doing a lot of play testing and we use a lot of like board game simulator or whatever it's called and even just like pieces of paper and just trying different gameplay trying to make battle mechanics that were more interesting trying to hatch out i think one of my favorite questions that someone asked was what am i defending where is your placement in the game what is what are you protecting? What are you building, et cetera? So that was a great question that we, we worked really hard to answer of, you know, what is your area? What is your region in the game that you're protecting? Um, so it'll be a big difference from anyone who played the, the demo of, of where we're going next is, you know, the concept of, of your home planet and what you're doing at that planet and how that changes what you can build, when you can build and the different resources you have access to. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys had built like a map out because creating these these units that can have defense or or offensive attributes as well as engineering, you know, where am I going to use these to battle? So has that also been something that you guys have been conceptualizing? Like, what does this map look like? Is it going to be like a super huge multi-million cell map? Is it going to be something that's small that kind of iterates? Where Where did you guys end up with that? Yeah, so basically everyone has their home planet and only one of them, and you can build there. And you can also send ships to your fleet, and you can send your fleet to other planets. So the map is confined really to a planet at all times. Or I can go and explore, I can get to someone else's planet. Once you're on that map, it kind of looks like a chessboard, really. Like there, you start to each side of each other. Placement on that map still doesn't super matter, but it matters a little bit. And what we really tried to do was simplify battles a little bit while making them make a lot more sense. If you remember the demo, you know, you could have had 100 HP health or 10,000 HP health, depending on what you're doing, where now it's, you know, you've got one, two, or three. So we drastically simplified some stat details. So it was a lot easier at a glance to understand what someone was. But other elements have have become a little bit more in-depth as well. To, to add certainly more replayability and interest to it. So we are working on just an offline emulator of the battle engine. So we're looking to get that out in the next couple months for people to play around with and just see how they enjoy the battles. That's obviously important for us to help get some more input on, on how those battles are looking, make sure you know none of the units are just ultra god mode or there's some exceptions we haven't figured out. In that time, we're also building a testnet for the, the next iteration of the game. That testnet won't have gameplay elements on it yet because obviously we want to see how this simulator goes and, and how people like that before we start worrying about getting it deep into the chain. But this testnet will focus on things like factions as well as just giving the validators community kind of something to get comfortable with. We are doing a fork of the secret network. So it's not a, a complete Cosmos SDK fork. It's, it's the fork of a, a slightly more built up chain Secret network, secret network. The point of that network is the ability to have private contract execution, which is a fascinating concept. It's basically, you know, kind of like take Monero and, and Ethereum and, and there you go. So it's fascinating and, and really interesting. We are using it for one single purpose. Obviously, the secret network is like general purpose contract execution. So if I have a smart contract, I can throw it on there, uh, like all other WASM chains. 
we have no interest in in allowing multiple contracts to run on our network. That's not the point of our network. Our network is focused on very specific game code. But that secure enclave, that ability to hide things inside the chain, allows us to hide random and make it so that we can still issue random numbers during attacks, during planet creation and things like that without someone being able to go, oh, well, I know what the next random number is. I'm going to withhold until it's a better random number and then I'll release my, my transaction. Or even um, you know, validators saying, okay, well, I'm going I'm to reorder these in a way that's, that's going to be beneficial and then we're going to execute those. So being able to hide a, a pseudo-random number generator inside a blockchain is something that you know certainly make games more fun goes back to our first statement of we want to make a fun game having things too random becomes a lottery not really fun having things not random enough can be boring although you know chess has certainly had a crazy resurgence recently but there is like a sweet spot there that you want to sprinkle some random on and it and it makes for a good replayability and, and an interesting experience so forking the secret network to be our own chain with really, instead of using that as a general purpose encrypted computation machine for everything, we're just using it for one little purpose, and that's random. So getting that in everyone's hands, it's a slightly more complex blockchain to run than standard Cosmos SDK. So really, this is us making sure our network can handle this, and they, they're able to, to facilitate the network. So yeah, we'll see how that works out. But that's the next testnet. It was supposed to be released about mid-September. I can pretend you're doing this recording early August, making that timeline still right on the way. But the reality is we're probably looking at October now. Nice. What a cool use case to use a a privacy-oriented chain to hide a random number generator. Usually, you know, you hear like the kind of uber libertarian stance when it comes to privacy chains. Like, I want to be able to protect my assets from being seen by anybody else. But super interesting how Strux is incorporating the random number generator. So the demo that's going to come out next, is that going to be still kind of text-based with like minimal graphics? Or is this going to be like a Unity engine, 3D kind of demo? What can like the end user expect? This next little like offline battle engine will still be probably fairly rudimentary from a a UX standpoint. That said, our, our UX people are constantly dropping kind of new hints at what the UX will, the experience will be like. So you do, although they're not kind of being developed in unison, you do get to experience kind of both of those. But yeah, we, we kind of need to see how people interact with this rudimentary thing. And then we can kind of figure out what grows from there as far as the interface elements. You need to see how people end up playing this game because it might not be the same way we expect them to play this game. Um, and then once we know that, we can do a, a bit of a better job making sure the interface supports that process better and then looks super badass. I don't see us building a Unity interface for at least a while now for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have the expertise to do that right now. So we need something to launch that looks cool and, and supports it. That said, what we're building is a protocol. Like we're building a game protocol when it boils down to it. We're building an interface for it and we're building tooling and libraries for it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you know someone else can't come in and provide a different experience for our users and even different subsets of users. So just because we're not building it doesn't mean someone might not build it if if it makes sense in the future. And the other problem is on things like Unity and that kind of more full-featured, you know, AAA exciting gameplay, the distribution models of those is kind of difficult for games in our industry right now still. You know, you don't know if, if the Steams, the Play Stores, the iOS stores, all these different distribution mechanisms are just going to say no and just remove you or block you from, from ever launching. So it's, it's really difficult right now to invest massive amounts into that experience. And then not to say it doesn't, doesn't have the potential to look amazing, but with so much uncertainty of whether or not someone's going, no, it was clearly a, a scam, regardless of, of how much community support or efforts go into it. It's hard to, to justify that right now. So we'll be primarily web-based, but that said, the, the experience you had in the browser for the demo is still nine day compared to the experience that we're, we're building for you right now. Do you think that there's a little bit of like a hangover from Facebook banning crypto ads in 2017? Is it like a PTSD or like a sour taste in your team's like palate? Where does this kind of um, conservatism kind of stem from? Is it just like 
being wrecked by regulations and, and big entities over the decade? I, I, I guess we're totally still jaded about that. I still like, we have a Facebook group for Strux or a page for Strux. You know, I think there's four followers on that. Certainly, we have a, a much more substantial growing following on, on things like Twitter and, and just in our Discord. But, you know, I still I'll get on Facebook like, oh, and, you know, advertise boost this post on, on Facebook. And it's like, can I, though? Like, are you going to let me or are you going to immediately like ban this ad? I generally work under the assumption that none of those things are available to us. I don't expect we'll be able to use Google ads, Facebook ads, Reddit ads. I just don't, I don't expect those ecosystems to allow us to exist in their realms, which is frustrating. You know, parts of me obviously get it. There was a lot of rampant fraud and, and they just didn't know how to deal with it. I, I mean, less worried about that, although that will be difficult because, you know, we will have, have a desire to reach these communities, to reach gamers who aren't interested in, in blockchain technology. I can reach blockchain folks. Like, I, got, I got those memes. I, I can go to conferences and, and get people on board all day long. But again, that's not, that's not the only audience we want for this game. We want, we want people to enjoy this game who have never heard of this technology and don't give a crap about this technology in the same way that they don't care if Postgres powers World of Warcraft. Like It's just not interesting to them to understand what the technology is behind these games because they're they're a wizard and they're running around and, and shooting crap at stuff. Like they're not they're not thinking like, oh gee, I wonder which message buffer this thing's using. It's super impressive how well this is loading. Like it's just not interesting to them. And and we don't want it to be interesting to them. That's not the experience we're trying to get. But that's still a very different user. But as far as the crypto users, we can get those users. We have those means. We'll try and get these other users yet to be seen. I think I'm more worried about the fact that you know, they just have a general chip on their shoulder to this technology. We saw very quickly, you know, the goalpost move where it's like, okay, well, you know, ETH is now, you know, not proof of work. They're, they're not, you know, burning down the rainforest as, as you were so concerned. And then suddenly they become proof of stake experts and, and can list out all these reasons why proof of stake is horrible. And, and, you know, there's no purpose to it as well. So that is primarily the gaming market. It's just a bunch of people who don't believe in this tech. So we, we have to be so good at what we're building that we trick them into having fun before they realize what's actually happening under the hood. So we'll see how that goes. How we do that without any ability to advertise on, on the major system, I don't know. Maybe they'll come around and they won't care, or maybe we'll beg or have the right contacts to get our ads in. Kind of worry about that when we get there. I think the key is, and it's really what drives every day at our company, is just building something so good that it's easy to argue like building something that's literally enjoyable doesn't ruin lives and doesn't burn the rainforest down and saying hey you know we here it is enjoy well from like a messaging perspective at least the l1 that you guys are building on the cosmos sdk is not proof of work so you kind of already have that hurdle dealt with <laughs> to an extent yeah now they're proof of stake experts so there's <laughs> all sorts of things that we have to worry about now like plutocracy and things like that but how have you been attracting a community? Because I'm a member of the Discord and like I found out about Strux because we're friends. So are you mostly friends and family right now? Is it just like general blockchain game enthusiasts? Is it specific subsets from the Cosmos ecosystem? Who's your community and, and like what does that activity look like right now? Friends certainly in there. There's a you know a small following of people who have just enjoyed the games I've put out over the years. They have been in those states very technical games, but not to say that I don't know how to find ways of interesting a very technical user without also interesting a non-technical user. So I think I think there's a there's people who have followed say Schemaverse, followed CoinDroids, and legitimately enjoyed those games and and put you know possibly tens if not hundreds of hours into playing those over the last decade. And they're curious about what's coming up next. So I've got, I've got that core contingent of gamers who are, are just fascinated to see what comes of this. And I assure you, they'll be entertained. Then there's, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time just getting to know the Cosmos ecosystem, getting to know the communities, getting to know the Stargaze community, getting to know the secret network communities, doing research and, and getting to know these different NFT projects and, and kind of seeing what makes these people interested in, in these different projects? What, what keeps them interested in these different communities? 
how do communities stay relevant? You know, it's one thing for an NFT project to drop something and get a big Discord going. It's another thing for them to stay relevant long after that collection drops. You know, what are what is their processes? So through that, certainly met a lot of interesting people and, and they've been interested in what we're doing. So getting them in hasn't been, you know, a big challenge. But I think a lot of people are, you know, just kind of curious of wanting to be a little bit more hands-on with it. So those who are in our community now are excited about the long term, but it's difficult to do a big push to get in a lot of people if we're not, you know, ready to entertain them. And and we're a small team, so we can either we can spend every day entertaining a group of a thousand people in a Discord, or we can spend most of our day working and building and, and building something great that will entertain them later. So it's a bit of a you know difficult balance of we want to build that community right now. And actually the game requires a community before it can even launch. We can't just say, okay, you know, here's mainnet, it's ready, and not have a community behind it, because the game itself is very community oriented. So it's in our interest to build these communities and help the different factions and guilds kind of start to materialize because that'll make the actual launch of the game far more interesting and successful. Yeah, and when I when I start playing the next iteration of the game, will I be automatically joined into a faction? What is the guild? Is it an agglomeration of players? Do you get to choose what guild you're in? How does that multiplayer element kind of work? You definitely get to choose the guild you're in, and it's basically who you stake to. So because it's a, a Cosmos chain, there's validators. In our game, we call them reactors. And one of the main reason why we've done this is the other reason why it's interesting to add a blockchain to a game. And many people can talk until they're blue in the face of what, why we don't need a blockchain for many different things. Well, the, beyond that exchange element, that new X of the 4X game into a 5X, the other reason why we want to use a chain is we all have those games that we've played over the years, at least most gamers do, where you know the server's shut down and, and that game is just history now. It no longer exists. You've got the story of the people going down with the ship on the original Halo, of just standing there, chatting, waiting for the servers to turn off. These are games that mean a lot to people, and, and they build friendships over it, relationships that last a long time. Or, you know, it's just a way to blow off steam, and, and it was you know a big part of their day. What we want to do and use this technology for is we've intertwined the lore of the game and the mechanics of the game into the operations of the game. As long as the game is played, the game will continue. So we built this model of factions being built around validators. That way, as long as there are still factions, even one faction, although you know it's not going to be the most secure system, but it's a game, who cares? As long as there's one faction, but hopefully there are multiple factions, the game is able to continue. The game is able to move forward and people are continuously able to play. So a big thing of what we're doing is making sure that these factions exist when we go to launch and then the game itself can continue. There's no just like, oh, you know, Slow Ninja isn't making enough on this game and we decide to walk away from it. Well, you know, we've developed the game open source. There's a community of people running it. There's a governance system designed around those community members that are running it. There's the ability for artists to add new art to the game at any time. And even from a moderation perspective, there's an element there. So the you know, we make a game that's actually decentralized, doesn't rely on us. Surely we're here to build it and we're excited about it. But if for whatever reason we need to step away from it in the future, this game will continue moving forward, continue playing as long as the users are there to play it. And that's what we think is you know, a pretty exciting thing of what we get to build. Awesome. Are you going to do like a pre-release like staking party to start building up that audience? Is that something that's not even on the roadmap until we have like a beta lined up? That'll definitely be the next, the testnet that we're building is getting people in there, getting those factions to kind of start, getting people to, you know, get into that testnet and start applying their fuel to the reactor in, in our realm or staking that that asset to, to the validator. And then from there, we'll use that state of the testnet to define how we launch the mainnet down the road. So I think we're, we're certainly interested in incentivizing those who help build it. And it also just you know is interesting to see these factions form. So hopefully that, that entertains people in a way too. The fun thing about the factions is we're already seeing people take the idea of their factions very seriously and, and write good backstories and you know create logos and, and just 
really start to build all that up together, which is you know awesome to see as well. We have our own base lore of the game, uh, our canon, and seeing people kind of run with that to define their own systems is is a lot of fun. Yeah. So will there be like some sort of IP sharing with uh, content that the community puts together? Are you implementing any of these new innovative ways to reward community members for contributing to lore? Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely some conversations that need to be had with our legal team to figure out how the hell we do all this. Certainly just utilizing things like the Creative Commons as much as possible and, and encouraging that helps a lot. We'll kind of see how this goes. But I think, you know, if someone if someone is building assets for the game, be it base cosmetics for the the profile avatar of, of players or um, you know, unit designs or planet designs, if, if someone is creating art for the game, then there should be possibly multiple ways of, of them to monetize that. They might be able to give it away for free, renting it, selling it, whatever they might choose, or they might, you know, monitor the chain and give it away as as prizes of, during certain events um will also you know maybe factions will have their own kind of look and have an artist on staff kind of helping them define what that look is and if you're a part of their faction you get access to their stuff if you leave the faction you know that uniform is gone basically so all sorts of different methodologies for how we let people bring their own art into the game if they want to monetize that art how they can do that um, and then how the players can monetize those different pieces that they might own or, or might only have access to borrowed state. And then the hard part about all that is defining this in a way, and, and we have some ideas for this, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, defining all this in a way that, you know, someone just doesn't have, you know, penis bot versus penis bot. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's the internet. So it always does kind of devolve into that. Yeah. We, we do have some, some processes and, and methodologies in place back on that governance side of things as to how do we, when do we let someone bring art into the game, at least from a, a general perspective. That said, part of being a faction isn't just running that validator, also is going to be, say, running a front end. And if my faction is just like, oh, let's have penis party and just wants everything to be penises, and I'm a player who's playing through their interface, no, it's fine. You're not, you're not harming the rest of the people who are in a slightly more gated, moderated version of the game, and they're enjoying that. That's great. So, so we can actually see two of these coexisting in a really nice way. And it's about how do we how do we govern that process, and and how do we give factions that want you know penis palace? How do we give them the, the tooling to go on their own and, and do that while interacting with the game as a whole and not ruining anyone else's experience? And how do we provide the tooling to the moderated community? That isn't defined by us. It isn't slow ninja saying, you know, we accept this in the game and we accept that in the game. We want to lead by example and say, here's some kick-ass art assets. Here's the thematics. Here's the the style and the feel of it. And here's what you can do to make sure that things aren't confusing too. Because if I look at one unit and it's got some big cannons on it and it's on land, but it looks like a ship or something like, it's just confusing. So we want to make sure that in that moderate, it's not even just about it looking good and not being offensive, but also properly explains the state of the game too. So again, how do we how do we provide mechanisms to make sure that all that is in place and, and encouraged while still letting people go have penis health? So when testnet? When testnet. Next testnet, probably mid mid-October. I just made a lot of great progress this week on it, to be honest. But now I'm going to Cosmoverse next week. Hopefully have a great time there and talk to some cool people. So I would I would expect probably mid-October for the next testnet. And even if you're not running a node yourself, uh, we'll make sure there's some cool things you can do with that, including get your PFP going, get that all set up so you can have your in-game character ready. Uh, a lot of what we want to do is actually in these test nets, it's not just about testing the code, which obviously that's a big part of it, but giving people little components where once the main net does come into play, you know, they're kind of ready. They're started already. They've got their, their characters designed. They've got their, their home planet ready. And these things can kind of just go from day one. So. It'll be a little bit of an iterative process in the mainnet, hopefully testnet, middle October day. Two weeks, I'll say. Two weeks, awesome. So if I'm a brand new user, what do I need to play Strux? Do I need a Kepler wallet or can I just go straight to the website and get going? Yeah, it's definitely just go straight to the website. We'll add more secure elements to it later on as far as Kepler integrations, likely especially using things like the new Authy modules. So that way you can have, you know, kind of your main wallet versus wallets that can do other smaller things. 
But what we want to do is always just provide a really nice clean interface where there's no there's no pop-ups coming up of authorizations and things like that. You're interacting with the blockchain, but it'll be a much different way than you're used to as far as interacting with the blockchain. Everything very streamlined and not in kind of the way that we're used to dealing with blockchains now, which is all these different wallets and, and confusing things. So generally, if you want to play, go straight to the site and get started there. And obviously, I encourage you to join up the Discord too, where likely your faction will be and you can start building some enemies and, and some composing friends in the community. Sweet. So where's the best place for people to find the Discord or to keep up with the project? I think the best place is our, our kind of living white paper, which would be our, our wiki. So watt.wiki, W-A-T-T dot W-I-K-I, watt.wiki. That document is what we're using when we're building the game. It defines everything that we're building in that game. As we define more elements, it goes into that document. Uh, as we answer questions, we try and keep frequently asked questions areas up, up to speed. And um, that's also where you can find the invite to our Discord, as well as a link to the demo. If you want to go play the old demo, it's still available as well. Awesome. Watt.wiki. Josh, thank you so much for coming to join the podcast today. It was awesome to just get a brain dump from uh, an OG's perspective and just to hear more about Structs and the really cool way you got, ways you guys are integrating blockchain. So I really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dylan. It's been awesome. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was really cool to hear Josh's perspective about building on different blockchains and the differences between HODL communities and those that support anything interesting. It was also fascinating to learn how Strux is a gaming protocol that others can use and build different interfaces on top of. And it was real intriguing to learn how factions will be determined through distributed network governance mechanisms like voting to a validator node and how that will remove dependency that traditional games have had on centralized servers. This means Strux will live as long as people are playing the game, even if Slow Ninja Studios stops developing. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep Neo News Today in mind when voting for your Neo Council representative as part of Neo's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.